And I suspect it's a generational thing to some extent, not entirely, but I think there probably are pensioners out there who might qualify for income support because, uh, and, and who just won't because they uh, feel that there's some kind of stigma to it, which there is not. And I would really stress, please, if you're a pensioner that's struggling to make ends meet, have the conversation with income support. It's your entitlement. It's not exactly. charity. My name is Matthew Leach. I'll be joined each week by a guest for a series of podcasts. Each will shine a light on topics from across the bailiwick. The format will change week to week. We'll have debates, reviews, hot seat interviews and special guests. So stick with us as we offer some insight on some of the most important issues we in the bailiwick face. At some point in our lives, many of us will need to claim benefits, and with the cost of living so high in Guernsey, many of us may also need to consider social housing or partial ownership schemes. Unfortunately, these decisions can come with stigmas and stereotypes, most recently highlighted by a Bailiwick Express article regarding a landlord telling a prospective tenant to F off and get a job. We asked the President of Employment and Social Security, Deputy Peter Roffey, to come in and bust some myths about social housing. He was joined by local businessman and non-voting member of ESS, Ross Lebrun. We covered population, education, the future of the Cadell Hospital, and the difficulty young people have getting on the property ladder. But first we discussed the stereotypes about benefit claimants that still exist in the island. Why do you think these stereotypes still exist? I don't know. I think I think they've just been there for generations, and they're quite convenient. And um, it's you know people don't like to challenge their own preconceptions. In reality, people on I'm not saying there aren't anybody swinging the lead out there. I'm sure there is. There will be in any community, but most people on benefits are either in work or unable to work for some reason, um, perhaps disability or whatever else, or they are uh, looking for work and actively looking for work and we do ensure that they are and if they're not actively looking for work then there are consequences so um, I think it's a totally unfair stereotype um, and uh, I wish people would cut it out. Do you agree Ross? It's, there, there is a very small amount that do swing the lead like Peter says but it's, uh, it, it is a small amount. People's, um, and by swing the lead what are we, what are we saying here? They, they, there are people that have grown up in a in a culture where they've learned all the different ways to, to play a system. That a lot of people don't see it, but um, I mean, I, I, I see it. I, I, I see it with some of the people I've employed. Um, but it's it, it is a small amount when you look at the population on a whole. But a lot of people, they their life situations change. Like a relationship might break down, and they they've got to move out and. The family splits up and they, they need financial assistance and, and help to survive because Guernsey's not a cheap place to, to live. Certainly isn't. Um, and I think what people need to bear in mind is, if anything, Social Security has become more strict about... There are people with what's called a work requirement, i.e. they should be expected to be looking for work and people without. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the categories for people who don't have a work requirement have become... Uh, really more limited recently. For instance, the age of your, your child, which um, you're expected to be able to go out and take full-time work, has come right down from, uh, I think it was about nine at one stage. I don't quote me on this, but it's now about five. It's, uh, you know, so, so there, it, there is um, 
a changing expectation and more and more of an expectation from Social Security that people who can work should work. And um, bar COVID, I mean, obviously we're going through an unusual situation, but we do have pretty much full employment here. So um, I don't think there is a sign that there's a whole raft of people who are, are, are playing the system. Um, you mentioned COVID there, obviously the uh, purse strings are getting tighter these days. Is this going to affect Social Security? You're saying it's tightening up on people who can claim? Uh, no, well, that was being done anyway, but COVID has obviously uh, taken a big hit on our finances. Um, both the Because our finances come in different ways. Income support comes from general revenue, and that's taken a big hit, but general revenue, we just have to make that up. But unemployment benefit is comes from the same place as the old age pension comes from, which is a contributory fund. And that was unsustainable before COVID. The government naturally was saying we had to do something about it. Now, obviously, it's been hit by the extra unemployment payments going out. So um, that is something that's becoming more and more urgent that we're going to have to make that, that fund stable. I think something that the island needs to do is we're, we're talking about retraining and upskilling people and, and a lot of the talk is about digital skills, but we've got a lot of hands-on skills that, that we need to boost on the island. For instance, people who work in the hospitality sector, we're, we're importing people to the island and we've, we've, got, we've still got hundreds of people unemployed. We all accept, if you were to say, well, why don't we get the locals to work in hospitality? And everyone will say, why would the locals want to work for such long hours, such unsociable hours, for such low pay? Why, why is that acceptable? Why can't the, the working conditions be adapted a little bit to actually make it a, attractive for locals to work in? Maybe have, have shift work in, one, one work one full day, and so they get the next day off and, and things like that. It, it's going to create a more creative thinking. If we could push for that rather than just say it's acceptable to have people claiming unemployment benefit while we're having to import labour into the island, it, it just doesn't really make much sense. Well, I, I agree that there's been a historical reluctance in, in hospitality for, for local people to go and work there. And I actually, over the last few weeks, I've been contacting quite a few employers in the broader hospitality uh, area saying, why aren't I getting anybody coming along and applying for jobs? Mm. And when I look into it, it's actually... It's not that people aren't applying for jobs, it's just that there is about 500 vacancies registered at the job centre now, the, the highest we've ever had on record, uh, interestingly enough. Uh, and so people are applying for jobs, but it's human nature. They're applying for the ones yeah. with the more social hours, with the better pay. Yeah, there's uh, almost uh, too uh, much yeah. choice there, yeah. I suppose. At the moment, yes, but I think combination of Brexit and uh, COVID has meant that you know, the option of bringing people in from sort of outside is a lot more difficult now than it used to be, um, not only for health reasons, but people from Europe now need a visa, etc. Um, the exchange rate isn't that brilliant. So I think it's very difficult to recruit from the traditional markets, which adds weight to what Ross was saying of trying to fit local people to, to hospitality trade if we possibly can. Mm -hmm. But I think we're going to have a work short, workforce shortage in the years ahead. You know, I yeah. think that's going to be more of a problem than unemployment. I hope I'm right, because it's a better problem to have. Yeah, we'll, we'll always have a workforce shortage. But I, I do think it's not acceptable to have so many people looking for work while there are some employers don't even bother to look locally. They'll just go straight away off island. And whether or not that's down to the fact they've got staff accommodation they want to fill and things like that, I don't know. But it shouldn't be acceptable now when, when finances are tight here and we're paying for people to, to not work. I, I think that's right. I think a lot of hotels and other hospitality institutions do have... Um, staff accommodation and they've begun to a pattern of being able to pay minimum wage because of mm -hmm. uh, having the, the offset against accommodation and food and obviously if you've got a local person who's got a high rent to pay or whatever they, they just can't take the jobs at that sort of pay rate but yeah. you know I mean 
it's, it's interesting. At the end of March, we had about, well, almost exactly actually, a thousand people unemployed. Uh, as we speak today, I think it's fallen below 600. So it is coming down really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Do you find people uh, find it hard to ask for help? Well, we, the trouble is we don't know the people that are asking them don't yeah. ask for help. And I suspect it's a generational thing to some extent, not entirely. Um, but I think there probably are pensioners out there who might qualify for income support because, uh, and, and who just won't because they uh, feel that there is some kind of stigma to it, which there is not. And I would really stress, please, if you're a pensioner that's struggling to make ends meet, have the conversation with income support. It's your entitlement. It's not exactly. charity. It's not... Uh, there's no holding out a bowl there's nothing of the sort you've paid in during your life and you're entitled there, there are people that are too proud to step foot into the social security building because there there is a stigma to it but there i've i've employed people and i, I offer temporary employment so i i can't offer all like constant full-time employment but if someone's between jobs they can come to us and they're in, like i've said to them have you been going into the job center while, you, while you've had no work to to sign on and they said no I said, we do realise you, you need to be signing on every week to pay your stamp, otherwise you're, you're not going to get your full entitlement on uh, on any benefits. So there, there is little things like that that um, maybe Social Security could be doing better to, to actually remind people, because it's, it's probably something that we expect everybody to just know. Yeah. But there, there's lots of simple little things like kids from school going to get a right to work. They don't understand how to go about doing that. People going to make sure that they're signing on every week, whether they're working for an employer or, or even if they're not working, if they if they want to take a break from employment, they've still got to go in and sign on. Otherwise, they they're not going to be well, getting their full. I have to say, I mean, Russ is talking about going in and signing on. One of the big changes I think will be happening at Social Security, and it's already changing, is more and more of those services moving online. Yes. Uh, which has advantages and disadvantages, I think for. Most of our customers, if you want to put it that way, it's preferable. They don't really want to have to come into Edward TV from the house. It can obviously be more staff efficient for us and have some savings. But I think we do have to be very careful how we do it. Some of the people we deal with have chaotic lives and they're not easy to boil down to a, a form about what's wrong that you can fill in online. And it does need the sort of expert staff to really talk to people and tease out what the situation is. And on the other side of the coin, we don't want people abusing the system, which perhaps you know a, a, a really experienced officer will be able to pick up in talking to somebody, whereas a, a computer algorithm may not do that. Talking about all this, is it, what can be done to change this? Uh, the perception of, of people asking for help, people wanting to, you know, getting people in or getting people online to, to tick the boxes and do the things they need to do. It's something that I said, I mean, I stood in the election, and one of the things that I, I actually pledged to do was build a course for stuff like this, but I haven't got that wage now to put throw that money at it. What I would have done was built a course for kids in school that teaches them all these things that um, people just expect people to know. The basic, like you say, procedures like getting a right to work and, and which departments you go to, where you go to on the island, what times they're open for a social security card and, and things like that. If... if people were given that kind of uh, lesson at, in school, then they, they know it before they leave. Seem less impenetrable, I suppose, to mm-hmm. people who need 
Yeah, and I think one of the ideas of the digitisation programme, and I'm probably not the best person to speak about it because my digital knowledge is... is You're on Twitter now, of course Sorry? you are. You're on Twitter now. You're part of the digital revolution. <laughs> yeah, 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 right at the back end of the wave, I think. Um, is that, you know, we will become e-citizens and that we won't have to necessarily go to all of these departments, that the information with the permission of the person concerned will be able to be shared and you'll need fewer points of contact. But um, I think you need to do another podcast with, uh, with the tech people to explain that don't expect it from me well so if we move on now to um uh social housing gha stuff like that um there's also i mean what the whole point in this i suppose is to discuss you know removing these stigmas and stereotypes about what kind of because they're council houses in the uk they're social houses over here um what kind of houses are these and who, who qualifies and, and who needs this kind of help well, anybody that really can't afford uh, the private markets, whether that's to purchase or or to rent. Now, it's a subjective view about uh, what uh, income level people do or, or do not manage to thrive in the private market. But there is a whole tranche. I mean, housing costs have just gone up and up over recent decades. And um, there is, unfortunately, I think an increasing percentage of our population that find it really difficult to either get their foot on the on the housing market or to afford um, private rented accommodation. Mm -hmm. So I think the demand for uh, social housing, whether it's through the GHA or through states housing, uh, has increased. And I think at the moment we are really in a, a fully blown housing crisis. So I think it's going to get worse over the next year or two. Yeah. Um, I wish there was a quick fix to that. I mean, we can sit down and we can plan a massive response, which won't please everybody because it's more development. Um, you know, these things don't come in weeks they come they, they it's you have to get the sites you have to get the plans through you have to do the build it's a couple of years and i think it's gonna be a rocky couple of years ahead yeah social housing and gha they both do and, and with the partial ownership they, they all do their jobs and they do them well but I, I wouldn't want the states to sit back and think that that's it problem solved because what i'd like to see is people to aspire to to actual home ownership i'm not revealing any secrets here because it is on the state's website you can see it the market there's a thing called the market intervention project and that's something where the states will try and look at different ways of, of helping people buy a home or get a home. And I think we're going to need to, to do some really creative thinking and, and just... I live right behind the Cattle Hospital and I think that that could be turned into a big block of apartments, private apartments sold off small so that they're cheap. You've got all that outside space there so they're cheaper again because they haven't got gardens. It, it, Things like Russ, Russ, I mean, they're currently writing to um, states property services saying what on earth is happening with the cattle hospital because the, the GHA actually drew up a plan for, for 90 homes there some years ago. They could do that, no cost to the states, well, cost <coughs> that the site would be made available. Yeah. But I, I, I don't disagree with you, making full-blown home ownership more affordable is great. It's doing it in a way you don't just give a huge financial benefit to one generation to make it affordable for them, and then 10 years later they can sell it on well, at the full market value. No, no, because you, you put covenants or, or restrictions on yeah. what people can do with the home, so they can't extend it. I mean, I'm pretty sure there'd be people that would be that would forego owning a car to own a home. If, if they could own a small home, and it's it's cheap because it's small people, but I think some people have unrealistic expectations of what they should be able to afford. But obviously there is a market right here, and, it, and at the moment it's stupid, it's sky high. But um, if we were to build small homes, reasonable, I mean, the, that was the best thing in the world for me. Well, I, I came from state housing. I hated, I resented coming home every day and sitting down in something that mm. I was throwing money at, that I was, it was basically just, pouring money down the drain. When I bought my house, it was a complete wreck and it, it was like one of the best days of my life other than having my son because 
every, every day you're working, you know that money's going, investing into your family. And that if, if everyone had the chance to aspire to that, but they're not going to unless we do something drastic and, and help build smaller, more affordable homes on the island somewhere. And the States, I think, can help by stepping in somewhere, finding an area of land. Like I did think Belgrave, but the, there's other plans for that at the moment. But maybe the Qatar Hospital, it's a, it's a big area, maybe somewhere else. I don't know. I haven't looked at what, the, what it sort of sites the state's own, but it starts a conversation going, and the more people that talk about it, the better. Well, you're right that supply and demand is really the, the, the key here. And unfortunately, I think the, the last housing strategy but on the back of the KPMG report got that entirely wrong. Uh, the targets have been met, but the targets were wrong. They were too low. I don't think we realised how much the population was going to grow. And, and also inside that population, there are more households because household size is smaller, so we need more units. But just, uh, I mean, I, I love the Home for Workers Loan Scheme and I used it when I first bought, but unfortunately that money's now been dissipated. I mean, we did do what Ross suggested down at the Peckeries, for instance, and mm -hmm. that, but it, it worked for a bit, but you need a longer-term <laughs> strategy than that. But I, home ownership is really crucial, and I think partial ownership comes into this as well, in the really long term, because I think Guernsey is split socially between the younger generations that in, can expect to inherit wealth from their parents and those that can't, and it's really down to home ownership. If your parents and grandparents own property, chances are, even if they spend you everything will. else, yeah. you're, something will be coming your way. Whereas if, you know, in 40 years' time, I can see if more and more people are living in rented accommodation, we'll have generations that won't have that, and I think it will be a big social divide in the island. So um, yeah. I know it's people think don't think 40 years ahead, but sometimes, sometimes I think... You should happen. sometimes, yeah, I think yeah. so. I mean, rental uh, ownership, in the, if we're going down that route, is in, the, in Europe is a, bigger, is a bigger way of doing things, but they have much more rights for a person who rents a property as opposed yeah. to over here. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and, uh, and I think tenant rights are, sorry, Ross, are important. I mean, we, we've had uh, various people suggesting uh, the transfer of um, states housing stock to the GHA, which I'm not against, although I'm not necessarily in favour of it. It's a surprise it, it to you, It is being considered, and it was being considered well before Deputy Fairbrush blurted out that it should happen. But if it happens, I want to make sure the structure's there, that there are... There are tenants' councils that they have the sort of rights that you see in other places where tenants actually have some control over the situation um, because we don't have that sort of thing in Guernsey, we ought to. It doesn't really solve the island spending problems by passing the, the management of it to someone else because if the rents are high, you're just going to pay through the notes with income support to pay for those rents. So it's still going to cost the taxpayer. You're right. You'd have to have a, an agreement <coughs> of, I don't know, maximum of 80% of market rents or whatever. Otherwise, yeah, it's, the, the other part of Social Security just picks up the tab. And, of course, we'll have lost the rental income to, to general revenue. So it's not straightforward, but I, I, I think it's worthy of consideration. Is the situation similar in the social housing and GHA stock that we have in the island? Are there enough roofs for people requesting help and homes? No, no, no. no. <laughs> Our waiting lists are going up and up and up at the moment yeah. and uh, really starkly the last year or two. In particular for one-bedroom properties, there's a huge shortfall there, but it's across the piece. It's, it really is across the piece now. Uh, we have a common uh, waiting list with uh, the GHA and uh, it is a matter of very significant concern both to Social Security and to GHA what's happening there. Yeah, I mean, you're seeing a lot of talk online at the moment about the, the problem of um, people coming to the island and, and buying up local market properties. And I I know at least one, they came here to work, basically. So they, they only came here to work not that long ago, maybe 10, 15 years ago. But they bought two local properties. They're, they're within their rights to. 
but when that's happening um, so often, it's it's taken up from people that actually need it that are already living here. People say you must be busy because you're present at the two committees. One of the busiest aspects of my life at the moment is constituency cases and housing is dominating them. I get, I would say on average two or three calls a day about housing. I have to explain that I am not a shortcut to social housing. It would be utterly unfair if people who contacted me somehow got preferential consideration over people that didn't. But it's desperation I think. People are desperate and oh, well, we'll phone Peter Offley then. It's not an invitation because it's not a shortcut but I understand why it's happening and it, it, it's, a, it's a sign that things are far from where they ought to be. And if you could wave a magic wand, I suppose, and fix the situation, what does Guernsey need to do? It needs to decide what its population policy is, because we don't know what demand we're catering for. The states have been dancing around this one for ages. I mean, I don't want to see a big increase in the population, no. because we're overdeveloped. I think it would affect the quality of our life. There are other states members that say, yeah, but for the, the demographics, the sort of black holes were being talked about because of an ageing population. Uh, we need a bigger workforce, and therefore they would like to do it. So... Even trying to plan for what housing we need is difficult. We know even in the best case scenario we need a lot more homes, both social housing and the general housing market. I'm focused on social housing because that's my job, but I totally agree that it's, it's only a part of the market. But people are sort of schizophrenic in Guernsey, aren't they? They, they? they don't want a housing problem, but they don't want any more development. They want their sons and daughters to be able to afford to buy a house, but they don't want the value of their house to go down in any way. And, and you know, you just can't... Indecision I, everywhere. Much so, as a states member, I'd like to satisfy, tick all of those boxes. I don't see how it can be done. We, we need to give young people more aspirations in life rather than just work for someone else or just pay rent to someone else. We need, we need to give them realistic aspirations that they can work for themselves, they can create their own, work, their own wealth. We need to invest in small business owners because they are the entrepreneurs, not just bringing them into the island. We're supposed... Our, our PNR said that they, we were going to in, concentrate on creating more economies and, and building, right, but now they're on about um, borrowing money to, to spend on capital projects. Well, that could just be boom and bust again, like it always is. You spend a lot of money on capital projects, you get a lot of building work on the island for a period of two or three years, and then we go into a lull for another two or three years. But that, that's not sustainable. We need something that's more sustainable. We need to encourage, like I say, small businesses and um, we need to create more small, cheap homes that people can actually believe that they can afford. Because there's a lot of young people, if you ask them about home ownership, they'll just laugh at you because it's not even something that they've ever considered because they've had it drummed into them that they'll never afford one. Exactly. It, it is. And one of the dangers, of course, is that we lose, uh, we lose some of our human capital because they will see that outside London and perhaps the you know, home counties, there are places they could be earning very similar amounts in the UK and their housing costs and other costs as well, but particular housing costs, are going to be far smaller. And they may not want to leave Guernsey, they may be Guernsey people, but um, at the end of the day, if it's like live with your mum to your 35 at home or, or, or go and be able to afford to buy a home at 28... Um, you know, somewhere in the UK, they're, they're, they're going to have difficult decisions to make. And we're already going to have a shrinking workforce because of demographics. So, um, uh, you know, it, it is really important, not just because housing is a basic commodity, but it's for economic planning as well. Yeah, it's not, it's not even so much about the houses being cheap. There, there's just not enough to go around for a start. Even if they were cheaper, there's not enough to go around. Not everyone could own one. Yeah, there's not enough roofs at the moment, I'm afraid. No, no, so we need to build, and I'm afraid we have to build. And I hate saying that because I think Guernsey's overdeveloped now, but I, you know, uh, you can't leave people without places to live. It's just fundamental. We need, ideally, I agree, to concentrate on brownfield sites rather than greenfield sites. We may need to go up rather than always sideways, but um, 
But we will need to take more land than we will need to build, which is sad, but it's necessary. Well, I'm going to uh, draw it all to a close there, unless you've got anything else you'd like to add. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Bailiwick Express podcast. The title track was Shift My Weight by Luno. If you enjoyed it, I know it's a pain, but please like and share. It all helps, and remember, you can hit bailiwickexpress.com to stay right up to date with whatever is happening in the Bailiwick. You can find us online, on social, on email, and on internet radio. There'll be more from me, Matthew Leach, and all the Bailiwick Express team next Friday.